you got to get passionate about this thing. If the cross doesn't move you, nothing will move you. I'm offering you something that's greater than silver and gold. I'm offering you something that's greater than an increase in your pay on your job. I'm offering you a... There's no shortcuts to the glory. Week to week living. We've got to multiply our prayer life. We've got to multiply our efforts. And we are willing to give. God will always give it back to us in good measure that is pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Hey, thanks for checking out our Christian Life Church podcast. You will be hearing from one of our pastors or guest speakers, either at our Frankfurt or Lebanon campus. Prepare your hearts and your minds to receive a word from God. Thanks for listening. Enjoy and receive this message. We're going to get into the word of the Lord tonight, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and begin with verse number 14. I'm also going to read from Romans chapter 12, and we're going to deal with an interesting subject matter tonight. I'm going to talk about a scripture that gets thrown around a lot of times, what I believe is completely out of context. How many of you know that context and rightly dividing the scripture is very, very important? Without context and rightly dividing the scripture, people can take all sorts of scriptures, twist them, and turn them to fit their agenda. And so the scripture itself tells us to study, to show ourselves approved unto God a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, and that rightly dividing the word of truth. And there is the key that we must rightly divide the Scripture. We must understand what is being said, who it is talking to, why it is being said, and how it applies to our life. And so tonight I'm going to address, uh, we're going to to use a couple Scriptures to springboard into what I feel Uh, to speak tonight, and uh, I believe we're going to have a move of God before we leave tonight, and uh, we may, unusual for Wednesday night, I know, but we may have a little time of prayer here at the end, and, uh, and, and a season of prayer if the Lord helps me and if he leads in that way. I do have a lot to cover. The Bible begins talking about being unequally yoked together, and when we begin reading this text tonight, the first thought that comes to most people's mind is the scripture is telling us to not have any not have any uh, friendship any connection no conversation with anyone that is unsaved with anyone that is not uh, of our faith that doesn't see the way we see and believe the way we see however I want to put this in context tonight Because I believe and I want you to see and I want you to summarize as we are reading and as I am teaching tonight, I want you to summarize this passage of scripture and form your own concept in this and understand what is taking place. In the text that I am about to read tonight, the scripture begins to talk about being unequally yoked together. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 14 be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? Now from this, now I'm going to read on a little, a little further here, but from this you can easily see how on the surface someone would say, well, the Scripture is telling us to have no fellowship, if I'm righteous, to have no fellowship with unrighteousness or with the unrighteous. And uh, it seems to be clear, it seems to be that that is what is being spoken. And I believe that this has been taken a bit out of context because the scripture is going to deal with the deeper matter of what was happening in the Corinthian church and among the Corinthian people to be able to see, oh, This is the setup for what actually was being said. Because if indeed we were not supposed to have lunch with a sinner, then Jesus would have been breaking his own commandments because he ate with sinners. And so he sat at a well with a woman that had a history. 
And so Jesus would be breaking his own commandment if indeed this is intending to tell us to not have lunch or not have coffee or not have dinner or not fellowship at all, any kind of connection with people who are not like us. So I want you to keep this in context as we're reading through. Verse 15, and what concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? Verse 16, and what agreement, watch, watch where we're getting to the point here, and what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? Here is the issue. It was polluted doctrine that was being taught and being dealt with. It was a polluted form of doctrine where those who had come from idol worship were bringing their ideals from idolatry into the temple and trying to find a way to blend the beliefs. Now, I believe in everything we do, we have to be able to go to several different scriptures to prove the same point. I don't have time tonight. To, to prove everything I need to prove and accomplish what I want to accomplish tonight without this being a series, and maybe it should have been a series. But I want to be very clear with you tonight when I point out the fact that those who came from a background that sacrificed meats to idols, when they, got, when, when they were saved, they looked at those who ate meats and condemned them in the church. And said, don't you know that meat was sacrificed to idols? And so if you partake of that meat, you're partaking of idol worship. And so there was a lot of confusion in the church. Same idea. Idolatry and Christianity. And so he's getting to the, to the real point here of the matter of what they are dealing with, dealing with idol worship. Now, if I may, this whole idea of idolatry being blended with Christianity continued, although the Apostle Paul dealt with it in 2 Corinthians, this continued on and was a problem in and around the loosely used, the church, the religious people of that day. It was a problem and continued on all the way you can see it surface once again very powerfully in the history books in 325 A.D. at the Nicene Council when they came together and in order to blend doctrines, they took a little bit of idolatry and a little bit of Christianity and a little bit of orthodoxy and all of these different beliefs and they blended them all together and shook them all together to create a whole belief system that really has very little to do with Bible Christianity. And it was birthed in 325 A.D. Now, I'm not online tonight, so I'm going to speak a little more free tonight, and I normally would not do this because I don't want to cause offense. But you know what else was birthed? following the Nicene Council of 325 A.D. The Catholic Church. It was birthed at that point. When I speak of idolatry, hello, it's all about symbols and it's all about, it's all about the idols and it's all about the pomp and circumstance and the rituals and all of these things. And maybe, maybe, all of us have blended things in over time, and we need to be very careful how we create these things. But it was an, it was an issue until they began to worship idols more than they worshiped God. They began to magnify Mary, the mother of Jesus, more than they magnified Jesus. All of that's birthed out of blended doctrines that you cannot find in the Word of God. They're not there. They're simply not there. 
The same is true. The same is true for the Trinitarian doctrine. It is not in the Bible. It's not there. It's just simply not there. You can look at it, try to twist it, turn it any way you want to. It is simply not there. Everything in Scripture is very clear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. So at the Nicene Council, they took those who believed in a thousand gods and those who believed in one God and those who believed in this many or that many, they blended it all together and said, we'll hone it all down and we'll say there's three and we'll try to somehow put it together and say these three are one. So there's a lot of confusion here. The Apostle Paul is speaking long before the Nicene Council of 325 A.D. He is dealing with this blending of idols into, into Christianity. And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? Then he goes on to declare, this is why, this is why idols and burning candles and all of these things, why is this not impart, important? For ye are the temple of the Holy Ghost. It's you. It's not about rituals. God's trying to deal with you. He's trying to deal with your heart. For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Verse 17, wherefore, come out from among them. Once again, I, I've, I've been raised in and around the church my whole life, and I've heard some of these scriptures, I believe, technically butchered by well-meaning people that try to say, isolate yourself. The Holy Ghost is never supposed to isolate you. How are you going to win a world if you're isolated from them? Come out from among them. You close your windows, your shades, lock your doors, don't speak to your neighbors, don't talk to anybody at work, because the Bible said come out from among them. You just find people that are cut out of the same cookie cutter and look like you and talk like you, and that's the only people you can be around. That's not the subject matter here. Come out from among them. Come out from among blended doctrines. Come out from among them of idol worship. Come out from among them. And be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing. Watch, the unclean thing. What is the unclean thing? It didn't say things. It's not plural. In the original, it is not built in a plural in a plural form, what is the unclean thing? The unclean thing that he's dealing with here is unclean doctrine. He's dealing with blended doctrines. Wherefore, come out from among them and be separate and touch not. Don't get involved in it. Do not give false doctrine time. Well, I thought I'd get a better amen than that. Don't give false doctrine time. There is one thing I will not tolerate. There's a lot of great orators. I love to listen to some of them because of their ability to be able to give a good speech or a good talk. Or even some may sermonize in certain ways and they may say a lot of good things. But be careful about who you're following and who you're promoting. You won't see me sharing a lot of Great orators and wonderful speakers and they can move a crowd. But I've listened to their doctrine and their doctrine is off. And when their doctrine is off, when I see they're a little out of the word there, they're not in the scripture, they've got it a little off there, they're a little, they're trying, I'm not going to blend that and promote that and tell you, well, you need to go listen to this person. I'm not going to touch the unclean. I'm not going to invite them to come and speak here. Well, do you not trust the church, Pastor? Do you not trust us to be able to, to eat the meat and spit out the bones? There may be some times and some things we have to do that over, but when it comes to doctrine, I'm not going to open the door and tell somebody that I know is in false doctrine, why don't you come share your belief system with the church? If I do, check my temperature. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you, 
and will be a father unto you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Romans chapter 12. I haven't even got my text read yet. I think I'm going to be a while tonight. Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to what? And be not conformed to the world. There's the idea. I live in the world. I work in the world. I eat in restaurants that are in the world. I have neighbors that are in the world. I am in the world, but I am not of the world. What's different? I've come out from among them with my thinking, with my biblical knowledge, with the concepts of Scripture. I walk at a different level. I don't doesn't matter what they promote, doesn't matter what they say, doesn't matter what the government says, I am going to stand on the Word of God. <laughs> Present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world. But be ye transformed, how? By the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of the Lord. I've been thinking a lot lately. I, I don't know what to call this tonight. Come out and be transformed. Maybe that's a good title. Title it whatever you want to title it. We're not online, so you can title it whatever you want to title it tonight. Come out and be transformed. Maybe that's what I'll call it tonight. You call it whatever you want to call it. Brother Jordan's ramblings. I saw some of your notes. You left some. Just kidding. I've been thinking a lot about how easy it would be for the church, because I'm seeing it in the church world, for the church to become acclimated to the things of the world. You know what acclimation is. When you look at the climate of this out-of-orbit world, and how dangerous it is for every one of us. Particularly, here's where I am the most concerned. I get to speak to our youth again tonight. And I've been having an opportunity to speak to them. And I don't ever want to come in and shoot over their heads. I always try to take at least a segment of what I'm preaching to try to, try to connect in with where they are. Because some of my greatest concerns is what this world will do to them. But the deal is, it's more how we as the adults, as the saved church that's been around the block a while, whatever we tolerate, they will accept. If we let it just hang around, if we let false doctrine hang around, they're going to pick it up. Because they'll say, mom and daddy, grandma and grandpa, they, they were okay with it, I think. I never saw them really fight it. That's why it is important that we earnestly contend for the faith. We've got to declare, no, 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 this is right, this is not. This is truth and this is not. This is Bible and this is not. So my greatest concern is, is particularly our young people, but the church as a whole, in how that we become acclimated to this world. You know what acclimation is. The military uses acclimation to where they take people and put them in environments that are much like they train them, try to train them in the environment. If they're going to a hot, arid area, they will send the troops into a hot, arid area. They'll send them to Arizona and run them low on water. And you know, It, it all depends on where they are. If they're, if they're going into to, to Russia, they may send people um, way up north into the the coldest regions, and they drop them out for days and weeks on end, and they have to learn to survive in the environment that they're sending them to. It's all about acclimation. They try to, try to teach them to be able to acclimate to the environment that they are in because acclimation really does work. 
When I first moved to Indiana from Texas, I moved here, I promise you, I was the coldest dude you've ever met in your life. And it took me about three years. I think I learned how to dress for it a little better. I think I knew what to expect a little more. But I think something happens internally. And you get where you can handle it a little more. I went to Texas a few weeks ago, a couple of weeks ago. I got down there, it was 97 degrees. I thought Jesus had come back and I missed the rapture and had gone to the other place. It was so hot and humid. You talk about humidity. I literally checked 100% humidity. I was checking my neck, thought I was growing gills. That's hot. Hard to breathe, hard to function. Sap the life out of you. But after I was there a few days, I, I already felt that I was starting to acclimate. By the time I left, I was doing okay with it. I was handling it good. But that first couple of days that I got there, I would just want to go back inside the RV and sit under the air conditioner. And Annette saying, well, is this what we came here for? Acclimation. The danger of acclimation is that it only affects the way we feel about the environment. It doesn't change the environment. You get that? Your body will only tolerate certain things. Acclimation affects how you feel about it. Here's the issue. The world is just trying to affect the church. The world that we're supposed to come out from, the, the ideals, the philosophies, and even some of the theologies that they are throwing at us, that the Bible says to come out. Here's why. Because if we hang around them, we'll acclimate to it. It doesn't make wrong right. What it does is makes us feel differently about it. And then here's what's, I hear this. I hear this in high level, in high level, um, how do I say this? In high level ministry, in high level uh, popular hear popular ministers talking about it. Just listened to a podcast the other day, and they talked about how their theology has evolved. Be careful about your theology evolving. Culture evolves, but the Bible remains the same. Acclamation doesn't change truth from being truth. It changes how we feel about truth. Cold is still cold. Hot is still hot. But it's how we feel about it that changes. Am I making any sense tonight? And when you start feeling different about it, then that's when you will really get in a mess. After about five days, I went out. We'd, we'd get these little breaks in the rain. It rained every day we were there. And then we'd get the, these breaks in the rain. And as soon as we'd get the break in the rain, I was watching for the wind to lay down. And after that, that thunderstorm would blow through, the wind would lay down, give it just a few minutes, and that lake would lay down. It'd be just a huge lake. It'd just be slick as could be. We'd jump in the boat, head out, and we'd fish for a little while until the next thunderstorm would blow up, and that lake would start raging, and we would get off the water and, and, and get back in. And so two or three days, and I was drinking, I was drinking some Coke and some Dr. Pepper and, and, um, and just enjoying, not thinking a lot about it, drink a little sweet tea, maybe a lot of sweet tea. And I was just moving. After about four or five days, I was feeling lethargic. I was feeling bad. I didn't really know what was going on. And you know what happened? I got a little more used to that heat, and I quit paying attention to what that humidity was doing to me. Because you know what it was doing? It was sapping the very life out of me. In other words, I was glistening a whole lot. I was sweating. And I didn't have enough water intake and I started getting dehydrated to the point that I was feeling bad. Started getting the shakes, started getting headaches, realized what was going on. I started drinking water, drinking water, drinking water, drinking Gatorade, trying to get my system back up because what had happened is I had gotten used to the environment enough that I didn't do what I knew I needed to do and the environment got the best of me because I wasn't, I wasn't ready for it. Acclamation only affects the way you feel about it. It doesn't change the facts. 
This is a perfect example of what happens when the church becomes acclimated to the world, to blended theologies, to blended doctrines, picking up on everything that has good oratory, great programming, or is real popular and everybody's listening to them. You, you can, if you're not careful, you will get caught up in it and you think, oh, I can handle it. I can, I'm going to just take what's right. I know not everything they're saying is right, but, you know, I really like that music and I really like, you know, they say a lot of good things. Be careful with blended doctrines. Because before long, you'll start saying, I think they're right. And the way that the, what the Bible says is wrong. Perhaps this is why James chapter 1 verse 15 says, When lust is conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Everything about sin is a step-by-step process. It's a step-by-step process. Acclimation is very real in our world. We We learn to coexist with sin. Then we learn to tolerate sin. Then we learn to get along with sin. And when we're around the world long enough, we'll become so acclimated to its lifestyle that people will say they must be okay with it. Because one time they trumpeted a cause different. Now they are fellowshipping with it. They are receiving it. The Bible talks about our conscience. And it talks about searing our conscience. You know what I'm talking about. It's the first time that a child tells a lie and it bothers them and they run and say, I'm sorry I told a lie, but the second time it comes easier. And if not corrected before long, we can make a habitual liar by not calling out the facts that there is a lie going on because the conscious will become seared. In any level of sin, particularly the works of the flesh, let me speak to this youth group that is here. Be very careful Because sins of the flesh, when we first participate in sins of the flesh, we feel guilty about it. The Holy Ghost deals with us. We know we shouldn't. But when we go unrepented and we go back and do it again, it's easier and easier and easier and easier and easier. And before long, we can persuade ourselves that there's really nothing wrong with the sin. Is that not what happened in the garden? Jesus says, God tells tells Adam and Eve, if you partake of this fruit, you're going to die. But the serpent says, he's got it wrong. You will not die. You will become like him. See, there's a certain sense of reality, but let's blend it together and make it something it's not. Perhaps someone's wondering, how, how does one acclimate to sin? Leviticus chapter 14 deals with a subject. It's a disease that dulled the senses. It's called leprosy. And I don't, I don't want to take the time to get way into it, deep into it. But leprosy in Scripture is a type of sin, meaning the Bible talks about leprosy, and you're reading about leprosy, but it's really dealing with sin. And so leprosy is the subject when it's not really the disease of leprosy. It is the comparisons of sin to leprosy. And this disease of leprosy, leprosy would start with little specks in the eyelids and the palms of the hand, gradually spreading over the entire body. One of the effects of the disease of leprosy is that it destroys the nerve endings so that the victim could no longer feel pain And so they would not realize when they burned themselves or cut themselves or even if they broke a bone. Leprosy, you see acclimation here? Leprosy would cause them to acclimate. They would acclimate to cold until they could not feel the effects of frostbite. They could burn themselves until they no longer felt the pain. It changed how they felt but not the reality of what was happening. Thus, they end up damaging or destroying parts of their body without even realizing it. 
And although leprosy wasn't excessively, excessively contagious like they thought it was, there was some possibility of, of infection. And so those who would hang out in the company of the leper would run a risk of the leprosy affecting them. And so therefore, this is why, this is why that the company that you keep is very important. I didn't say you can't play ball and have friends that don't believe like you believe, but be careful who you let in and let speak into your life. Be careful who you make bosom buddies with. So lepers were social outcasts because they couldn't be around people because they were contagious. So they had to they had to have six feet of, di of distance between them, and they had to wear a mask. Well, not no, that, that wasn't leprosy, was it? That was something different. Let me get back on my subject. Just checking to see if you were listening. It was very similar. They just handled it a little differently. When someone was found to have leprosy, you got to move out of your house. They were so afraid of it that they they had to they they had to burn down the house. <laughs> I mean, they had to get rid of it, close everything they had. They were left with nothing, and they had to go live outside of the city because they didn't even want it in the city. Can't even go to school if you're not vaccinated for leprosy. No, that's not leprosy. That's right. Am I meddling too much? So they had to go outside the city. So they became social outcasts. They were unable to take part in all but one of the sacrifices offered in the tabernacle. Listen, here's the whole idea. Leprosy is a perfect type of sin. This is what sin does. It begins, it begins gradually. Where did I say leprosy began? In the eyelids and the hands. It changes your perception. Sin changes your perception and everything you see. And it affects everything that you touch. All the while, it's not about your eyelids and your hands. It's all about deteriorating what is going on in your soul. But, Leprosy was, was not completed. People could be cleansed of leprosy. They could be cleansed. And if, if they were healed, if they healed were healed of leprosy, they had to go and show themselves to the priest. That was their custom. So they had to shave their head. They were required to bathe, to bathe their bodies. They were required to make sacrifices before their God. So leprosy was the only disease that called for the leper himself to come into God's presence and ask for cleansing. Obviously, leprosy is a perfect type or comparison of sin because just as leprosy will leave its mark by its distinctive scar in sin, in your life will leave a scar that can haunt you for the rest of your life. I preached a message one time, may preach it again, sometimes particularly people who struggle. But I want to tell you that sin leaves scars. The Lord will heal. He will cleanse you. He will take care of the leprosy. But the scars in your life may remain. And they serve as a reminder of the life that you came from. It's things you're not proud of. It's things you never wished. But don't be afraid of your scars. It's the testimony of God's grace and God's mercy. I've got to keep mo moving. I, I, I keep putting my glasses on and off tonight because I didn't wash them before I came in. I didn't clean them. And they're so smudged that when the lights hit me, I can hardly see. But I'm doing okay, Dick. That's all right. Thank you. 
it reminds me, I, I grew up with 20-20 vision. And it wasn't until I was introduced to a computer screen with long hours that something began to happen, maybe age. And I noticed, I noticed very few problems with my vision. I, 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 I thought I was seeing okay. I thought everything was going good. Everything seemed to be fine. And I went in, I went in for um, a driver's license check, you know, when they look in and read. I went in and called out the numbers, and the lady said, um, read the line above it. Um, read the line above that. Um, do you wear glasses? No. Um, you may want to get your eyes checked. Really? I have 20-20 vision. No, you used to have 20-20 vision. But without even knowing it, my vision had been affected. I went to the eye doctor. They checked it out. I put glasses on. Just couldn't figure out my reading. I put glasses on. It's like, wow. That ink really isn't blurred. I can see. It's a miracle. The thing about vision is people who are not doing a vision check will often think they have clear vision. Announce to the world, this is the way it is. This is the way it ought to be. Start feeling like we're just as good as some and better than others. And little by little, leprosy would remove its victims from the people they loved. It affected their vision. It affected their sense of touch. Eventually, they're diminished to begging for their very own existence. They suffered from isolation because they were outcast. If there was a time that they were ever welcomed into the city and allowed into the city, if they got around anybody, they had to cry unclean. They suffered from a loss of identity. They're known as the lepers. Read it in Scripture. Very few. Naaman. We have his name, but many, many of the lepers in Scripture are without a name. Matter of fact, we only know the names of those who, who were cleansed and made whole. Why did God choose leprosy as a type of sin? Because only sin can cause a man's heart to be defiled, like leprosy. It affects the conscious. I'm talking about this tonight because it's so applicable to this text that we're dealing with. It's things that happen little by little. It's how blended theology and how, how accepting small things into our life, false teaching that we're like, well, they probably weren't spot on, but, you know, I still enjoyed the fellowship. Be careful. Pastor, why do you guard the pulpit so much? Why, do you, why are you always so concerned? Because the apostle said, be careful what fellowship does like with darkness. Be sure that what we are teaching and what we are preaching is a clear and a certain sound. It's not, it's okay for you, but not okay for you, and a little other version okay for you. The Bible is clear. It's for humanity. It's for whosoever will. But they weren't left in leprosy because there was, there was a way. There was a way out. There was a way of redemption. There was a way that they could be changed. The Bible tells us to come out from among them. When lepers found out that they had leprosy, if they were healed, if they were cleansed from leprosy, if the disease had been taken from them, they had to take a sacrifice and they had to go show themselves to the priest. People could have all sorts of sickness. And there may have been 
all sorts of remedies and all sorts of different things. The only disease I find in Scripture where they had to go back to the temple and show themselves to the priest was leprosy, type of sin. They had to go back to the house of the Lord and they had to prove themselves to the man of God. And they had to say, I was once a leper, but now I have been cleansed. And it wasn't until the priest said, you are clean, that they were once pronounced clean, then they were able to go back into society. Then they were able to function. Then they were able to go. The Lord will never leave you without a way of escape. No matter how far you go, no matter how bad it gets, no matter what you get involved in, God will always leave you a way out. But there will never be enough books to read, enough self-help. There is only one way that you can get it right. You've got to take your sacrifice. Submit your body a living sacrifice. He's not looking for your money. He's not looking for your things. He is looking for you. You've got to take yourself. The leper couldn't say, hey, Dylan, I'm going to send something with you down to the church and, and tell them that I'm clean and I'm going to just go on. The leper had to go in before the priest and allow himself, his own life, to be inspected. How, what does this mean? That means you and I have got to go before God, the great high priest, not a man, the great high priest, and we've got to show ourselves to him and say, let your mercy wash me and cleanse me and make me whole again. And when God announces us clean, it doesn't matter what the world says. It doesn't matter what the world says about the life we came from, the disease we once had. It matters what God says about us. There's only one way to get there. You've got to come by way of the house of God. You can't find it in the world. You can't find it in believing in of itself. But the leper had to go back to the house of God and show himself to the priest. God is calling people to come back to him. I'm going to tell you about this world we're in. They want us to believe that there's many, many, many pathways that's going to lead to heaven. There is nowhere in Scripture. The Scripture is very clear when it says there's a very, very narrow gate and straight way. We've got to walk in it. We've got to love it. We need to get in this Word. It doesn't matter. I, you, you, I'm, I'm, I hope I'm not coming across overly old-fashioned tonight, and I hope I'm not coming across in some manner of, of, of beating people up tonight in some way, but I want to come against the whole idea that has crept into religion that says, oh, just anything, just believe on God, and that's all that matters, and just, you know, find your own way, and do it yourself, and, and walk your own way. There is a way that seems right, but the end thereof is destruction, but there is a highway that is called holiness. I'm out of time tonight, and I don't want to belabor the point. It's little things, it's small things, it's little things that we accept that we receive that causes us to begin to believe in things that may never, ever, ever be the will of God. One of the oddities in Scripture about leprosy is that when Jesus cleansed the ten lepers, he cleansed them all, they left, but there was one that went back. And the one that went back went back to thank him for cleansing. And when he came back and thanked Jesus for cleansing, the Bible says the others were cleansed. They left without a doubt to go show themselves to the priest. But the leper that came back to Jesus, the Bible said when he left, after coming back, he left whole. 
there is a difference between clean and holy. He left holy. Here's the importance of us going back to him. After we've been saved, sanctified, set free, there is a reason that we keep going back to him because he is making us holy. The brokenness in our life, he begins to put back together. He begins to reshape. He begins to reform. He begins to renew. The damage that the scars of sin, the scars. I talked about sin leaving scars. Yes, they do. And a cleansed leper would go about his life with all of those scars. But there was a reason that that one went back to Jesus and it made the text. Because when Jesus, when he came back to Jesus and thanked him, he says, you are now whole. Meaning even the scars connected with the sin. Even the scars connected with the leprosy are then made whole. The fingers that were out of sorts, the toes, the hands that were broken, the bones that were broken, after returning, they were straightened out. And everything in his life, I could come tonight and talk to some of you because I know how it was when you came to the Lord. You came broken, and he saved you in the middle of your brokenness. But that's why we keep coming back to him. We keep coming back to him because he takes every broken piece of our life, begins to fix it, begins to straighten it, begins to turn. It doesn't happen overnight. It won't happen just in one church service. Don't get in your mind, oh, I'm just going to go and everything's going to be different. It may be different, but you still have growth. There's still things that he's working on, still things he's fixing, still things he's changing in our life. Maybe that's why David said, Cleanse me. Purge me with hyssop that I may be clean. Wash me that I may be whiter than snow. All of those things are a process. We had a little fire here. We came in to try to clean up. All the folks that came and worked so hard. They came in. We used the cleaning agents and water and mops. And we mopped floors. And we would finish. We would do little areas, dump water, and come back over it again, dump water. Finally, we would let it dry. Then we would have to come in again and do it again. Because although it was better, it wasn't clean. And time after time, every time we would do it again, it would get better. Sister McKell thought that she was going to shortcut and so she took some Dawn dishwashing soap and she put it out on the floor and we had quite a slippery mess on the floor and we mopped and mopped and mopped but when we got through and it all dried out and I walked in and looked it didn't look much different than the ones that we had just done normally because there's no shortcuts you just got to go back time and time and time again we've got to go back We've got to go back to him time and time again and say, cleanse me, Lord. Work on me. Perfect me. God, that broken thing, that thing that I brought with me, that thing that you forgave me of, but it's still haunting me. God, you've got to keep working on it. But don't give up because he'll keep working. He'll keep perfecting. He will keep fixing. He will keep changing. Don't ever get to the point that you start saying, well, I'm closing, Dick. You can be careful to not get to the point of where you start saying, well, I'm never going to be perfect. I'm never going to be everything I ought to be. None of us are perfect. I understand that. But we're to strive for perfection, the Scripture says. We may never arrive at perfection, but we're reaching for it. We're trying to get better. And I say to you tonight that if that's you, you're reaching for it, you're striving for it, you're working for it, don't get don't get upset because you're not there yet. Don't get upset and start thinking, well, I'm, I'm just never going to arrive there. I may as well quit. I may as well go back to the old life. I may as well go back to the old friends. I may as well go back to the old way. No, friend. The Lord's still working on you. He's still perfecting you. And it's only through time when you look back and realize, well, I walked this narrow road. I walk this straight path. 
and it seemed like I wasn't making a lot of headway, but somewhere down the road, you're going to stop, and you're going to look back with a pure mind of remembrance, and you're going to see, wow, look how far God's brought me. Look what God has done in my life. Look at the change that he's made in my life, and you're going to be the better for it because he makes everything new. He takes the old and he washes and cleanses and purifies again and again and again and again. That old wound, it's healing. You clean it and purify it and put salve on it and wrap it up, but you can't just leave it. You have to go back, take the bandage off, wash it again, cleanse it again, purify it again. Put fresh salve on it again. Bandage it back up. And it gets a little better. And it gets a little better. We've got to keep going back to Him. And keep saying, God, perfect me. Make me what I ought to be. I don't want somebody to come along and tell me, you're fine like you are. I don't want blended doctrines in my... I want to know what the Word of God says. Purify me. Make me over. Stand with me all over the building right now. Dylan's going to lead us in a chorus right now. Let's just close our eyes all over the building. Lift our hands toward heaven and just begin to pray and just say, God, purify me, cleanse me, wash me, heal me, make me whole, make me new. Come on, would you pray right where you are? You don't have to come forward. You're welcome to if you'd like. If you want to come forward, that's fine. If you want to pray where you are, that's fine. Then you can make worthy. Come on, let the Lord cleanse you tonight. Wash me in mercy. Oh, yes, I am clean. Oh, yes. Come on, with lifted hands, let this song be your prayer. You can make worthy. Oh, you wash me. 